Blue Wire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Super Bowl Monday edition of The Rebuild. I'm Henry Ettinger, joined by frequent guest of the show, Spencer Mahone from 92.3 The Fan, to talk about the big game and some takeaways and how it might relate to the Browns and all of that. Spencer, how are you doing on this Super Bowl Monday, given the fact that football will not be returning to us, at least in the pro game, for 213 days? I'll tell you what, I enjoyed the uh, the little incident on the field where they had some dude running across the field. Kevin Harlan's call of that was glorious. Yeah, yeah. You know, I look, I understand why they they don't want to show the streakers, I guess, because it, it glorifies the attention or whatever. But come on, it's funny. It's funny. And if you saw the video of that, on Twitter or, you know, like I was watching the, the, the Romo Nance broadcast and, and so they didn't show it and they cut to commercial, whatever. I saw the video afterwards and the spin move he put on the security guard. If you didn't see that and you're listening to this, do yourself a favor, go look it up. A great run, a great run by the fan that made it onto the field. And you Spencer- You gotta go into the end zone though, come on. He, he got to the end zone eventually. He slid down at the one, at least according to Kevin Harlan. Oh, oh, was it down at the one? Oh, the angle I saw was a little tough to tell if I'd be exact yardage. I thought he got into the end zone. That's what Kevin Harlan said. He's like, and he slides down at the one. And and, uh, I I think it was Kurt Warner, who was his color commentator, said, you got to go all the way when you get on the field. You can't just slide down at the one-yard line. I didn't know that. That that is that is egregious. That's a misplay from from the from them. But but I will say the spin move and the outfit were both on point. Well done. Well done. And they only have like thirty thousand fans, right, or twenty thousand, however many were in attendance, and they still let somebody onto the field. I don't know about the security that was going on in Florida there. Everyone's laughing on Twitter because, you know, typical Florida man move to, uh, you know, jump onto the field and streak during the Super Bowl. And, and, and much like the security, Tampa Bay's offensive line could also not stop anybody last night, Spencer. So let's jump into the game a little bit. That was my, that was my attempt at a, at a transition there, as I do want to talk about the Super Bowl a little bit. Just to, to kick us off, Spencer, what were your overall thoughts or what was your big, you know, biggest key takeaway from, from the big game last night? My biggest takeaway was uh, Kansas City got absolutely exposed. They, I don't know what Todd Bowles did, but I mean, a hell of a lot of credit goes to Todd Bowles because he dialed up a, a perfect game plan. I don't know how else to describe it. And the thing is they only sent pressure, you know, 15, 16% of the time, I think the number was. And I, I saw 10 as their blitz percentage, but I, that, that gets counted differently depending on where you look at it. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't remember what exactly the number was, but it was really low. And it, it looked like that Tampa Bay was just getting pressure on Mahomes all night and and i mean they were mahomes ran in the backfield for 498 yards just looking around trying to make a play is that a stat is 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 that that is a legitimate stat oh my god thank you nfl next gen stats for that one that that is unbelievable i cannot believe that really that is crazy obviously the chiefs offensive line struggled but wow i'm Wow, I don't even know how how really to come back from that. It spends out my, my biggest takeaway was this. I don't know if my heart could make it through a Brown Super Bowl. I had that thought about how amped up I was at the beginning of this game and how highly anticipated of a matchup it was. And yes, the game ended up disappointing. But I was sitting there very stressed on the edge of my seat as the game got underway and into the first quarter. And I really don't care that much about the chiefs or the buccaneers or the players on each side. 
I didn't have any stakes other than a little bit of gambling money on this game, which I'm sure most, you know, a lot of people out there did as well. Other than that, I had nothing. And I was still so nervous just being a football fan and with such a good game potentially on the line. And my, and then my next thought was, wow, if the Browns were in this boy, oh boy, it would be uh, a lot uh, on, on the old heart. But as far as the game goes, the chiefs offensive line obviously just struggled in a way that was, un- I, I didn't see coming. I did not see it at all with Remmers and how bad they were against that Bucks defense and, and, and that Bucks defensive line. They, they couldn't block them at all. And I didn't think Patrick Mahomes had a bad game at all. He just, he got no help. He had no help the whole time from, from his team. And we saw it with the undefeated Patriots. This chiefs team is similarly was viewed as a juggernaut, but if you can't block the four guys uh, rushing uh, up top, it gives a lot of versatility to the back end of that defense, Spencer, and the Chiefs couldn't block them all night. Yeah, and, and again, on the defensive side, credit goes to Todd Bowles for not only drawing up that game plan, but, you know, Tampa Bay strength and conditioning coach for having those guys in shape to chase Mahomes for as long as they did. And even though it's the front four doing a lot of the battling in the trenches, the front seven, I think is involved as well. So you got like, as, as a, as someone who watched Kansas city very objectively throughout the night, I kind of waited for that offensive explosion to happen and for them to shore up uh, what, what they were missing. And it just didn't happen. And and I don't know about you, man, but I was I was surprised, and I think a lot of people were. A lot of people were expecting this, you know, 35-30, uh, 31-28, 24-20 type of game, and that, that that's not what we got. And, I mean, you said it perfectly. KC's offensive line struggled. They've had some injuries, and – you know, that that's a bad day to have a bad day. Like, that's the worst time to have it. And <laughs> at the end of the day, I think that's that's what makes the parody of the NFL so great is if you make it that far, if you make it to the Super Bowl, you have to play your best on that day. And if you don't, you're going to get absolutely exposed by the team you're playing. And I think that's exactly what happened. Now that's going to lead me to Tampa Bay's offense led by none other than Tom Brady. And I I had multiple conversations like this uh, today uh, at work and man, Tom Brady just knows how to dissect a defense and, and same with Byron Leftwich, like both are students of the game. And I, I think Byron Leftwich was a really, really good quarterback. And he's, he's the type of quarterback when he played in his prime, he played on a really, really bad Jacksonville team and he got absolutely zero help there. So I think if Byron Leftwich could have went to the right team, he could have found the lane and could have found his way into a potentially deep playoff run. But just those two football minds, I think says a lot about, how Tampa Bay dissected Kansas City's defense. And in the receiving core, it helps that you have three number one receivers, or for lack of a better term, for the casual fan out there, three guys that can be the top receiver on any other NFL franchise. For sure. And you touched on a lot of things that I want to get to as well. But I I don't know. As much as this game was built about the quarterbacks, I really thought it came down to everything else. Brady did play a good game for sure, but his running backs also were over five yards of carry. His defense set set him up in, in great positions as well. He certainly did what he needed to do as a quarterback, but I wasn't like absolutely flabbergasted by the throws he was making or anything like that. There weren't really even that many throws that I was like, oh, that was a really impressive dime from Brady. It was just a lot of manipulate the safety, go here, manipulate them, the defense, go here, check into this play. And he did all that very well because he's the greatest quarterback of all time. And the fact that he's doing it at 43 is certainly a marvel all in itself that we don't need to get into. 
But for as solid and as good as I think he played, I thought it was the Bucks' defense, the players around Brady, and the players that failed around Patrick Mahomes that ultimately were the difference in this game, despite the focus being so much on on the quarterbacks. Yeah, that, that's another great point you made there, man. I, I honestly couldn't agree more. Spencer, and I want to use this game because I think it's a helpful exercise to analyze the Browns in the Browns roster and their coaching staff and all of those things. Because I think that there is something to glean from looking at the teams that make it to the Super Bowl each year and, and at the rosters and all of that and, and do some self-assessment. And I think the listeners would be interested in that as well as Browns fans, as we kind of look big picture at the Super Bowl. And I wanted to start with the thing that we started with at the top of the podcast, the trenches. And for me, that was the story of this game, right? The, the Chiefs offensive line injured, obviously, no Eric Fisher and Mitchell Swartz, their two best offensive linemen were out in this game with serious injuries uh, and, and Mitchell Schwartz has been out and all of that, but they got absolutely smoked by the Bucks defensive line. Shaq Barrett, Vita Vea, Jason Pierre-Paul, and Dominican Sue, a stacked Bucks defensive line to be sure, and they absolutely crushed the Chiefs. So the question that I got out of that Spencer, and really it was my my takeaway, and then I'll ask it to you as a question. For me, that solidified what already was my opinion coming into this offseason, that the Browns either at 26 or as their biggest free agent signing should use that on a defensive lineman opposite Miles Garrett. Because I think in order to beat the Bills, in order to beat the Chiefs, you have to get pressure with four guys. And although Miles Garrett is great, I'm not sure the Browns have the personnel around him right now to do that. Is that how you see this offseason or do you see other holes on this roster that you would put above defensive line as priority number 1? I think you hit the nail on the head. You definitely need someone else opposite Miles Garrett. You need a, a second, potentially a third cornerback. Someone definitely to play uh, diamond nickel corner to uh, help shore up the secondary there. Now, I think you can go to free agency for the cornerback, but I definitely think in mid to late first round, even if you trade up, you can find someone to play opposite Miles Garrett. Now, the one thing I do worry about, and this is something – I saw the All Eyes on Cleveland podcast talk about is Larry Ogunjobi's a free agent. You need him on this team as well if you want Ooh. this line to perform. Do, at do the top you? Level. Do you need Larry Ogunjobi on this team? I look. I've been Larry Ogunjobi's biggest supporter, but at the price he's going to command, I don't think you need Larry Ogunjobi on this team. That that's a fair point, but again, the big point that I'm trying to make there is you also need to worry about that nose tackle position and where and whom you can pick up a pretty solid nose tackle. And, I mean, I, I, I love what Ogunjobi's done. It's then up to him. It's, it's about his asking price. Is it too steep? And, and then that'll – you know, kind of snowball if, you know, he gets a big deal, then someone else is going to want a big deal. And then you're going to get stuck in what's called cap hell. And you're going to have a pretty mediocre team. And, and for the long run, that's not what the Browns are looking for. I mean, ideally you're looking at a five to seven year window. If that happens, that window can shorten from five to seven to maybe two to three maybe even shorter. I, I Honestly, I think the Browns are going to use Andrew Billings, who opted out of the season. I think he's going to come in and play defensive tackle for the Browns. I think Larry Ogunjobi hinted that he plans on walking away I, 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 after the season. And I think that the Browns are going to let him do just that. I would be shocked if he's on the team next year. Uh, and I and I thought he was underrated by some of the analytics uh, in terms of what he did in the run game. I thought he did do a lot of the dirty work 
but he does not rush the quarterback. And I think the Browns has an analytics focused team. We'll, we'll go on the cheap at D tackle. So for me, it's D end all the way. It's D end all the way. That was the trenches thing. We already have the offensive line, the best offensive line, basically in football. So uh, I, I think you got to go defense. I wouldn't be mad if they, if they showed up, you know, with some depth on the offensive line, but D line to me over corner, over linebacker, over everything else, that defensive end position opposite Garrett, especially because Olivier Vernon ruptured his Achilles and it sucks because that, that really does put him out of the running for next year for me as being the starter on this team. They've got to go upgrade at that position in my eyes. And it's got to be, it, it's got to be priority one for me. As far as another takeaway, Spencer, that, that you mentioned already, how well Tom Brady played and how well Patrick Mahomes, frankly, I thought played in this game, despite his team not helping him and all of that. It's an obvious thing. But my second key takeaway is Baker Mayfield took a step forward this year. I think he has to take another step forward if the Browns are really going to be in elite Super Bowl contention every year. He's got to get to that top top elite class of QBs, and I think he can get there. But looking at the way Brady played mistake-free football, looking at the things Mahomes was doing on the field to keep his team in it, those are the guys that, that stick around this time of year, year in and year out. And, and if the Browns are going to be one of those teams, Baker Mayfield's got to become one of those quarterbacks. Absolutely. I mean, it's what Elway was to the Browns back in the 80s when the Browns had all those playoff runs. Elway was a guy that stayed because he, granted, it's a different age of football, but mindset, I think, stays the same year in and year out, no matter what year, what team, or who, is, or who it is. John Elway was one of those guys who was there, AFC Championship, Super Bowl, year in, year out. He was an elite class quarterback of his era. And I think Bernie was as well, but the guy who stuck around longer and the guy who most people remember isn't Bernie Kosar, and it's John, it's John Elway, and it's for a good reason. And I... I think Baker can take that step forward. And I think he will because he's finally in a system and he's going to get a second year of this system, which is something he hasn't had yet in his NFL career. So I think his confidence is going to continue to grow in this system. And Stefanski's relationship with Baker is huge. And a thing that we haven't touched on in terms of Brown's news yet is Stefanski officially is a P coach of the year. I think mm -hmm. that's huge. And as long as you continue that relationship and building that relationship, you're going to get, you know, I think you could get what Andy Reid is to Pat Mahomes or what, you know, Bruce Arians has been to several quarterbacks or something of the like. I definitely think it's possible. Now, obviously we can say it. It's way easier said than done. Of course, but I, I if the Browns are going to get to that elite level, in, in my opinion, Baker Mayfield's got to find a way to take another step. No, it's the hardest. It's absolutely the hardest step to take in the uh, for an already established starting quarterback, which I think Baker Mayfield is. There are more Matt Stafford's, Matt Ryan's, you know, Derek Carr's in the NFL, then they're all Russell Wilson's, Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes. But the second group I listed there, those are the ones that were in the AFC championship at the end of the day. So, and I, I fully believe in Baker Mayfield to eventually get there, but in, in order for the Browns to be a Super Bowl contender every year, I, I don't think he's quite there yet. And I think he still needs to be. Now you brought up a, a, a great point and I'm going to go out of order of my takeaways to, to touch on it because I think that was another key part of the Super Bowl and a big takeaway I had. I've not actually been the biggest Bruce Arians fan. Andy Reid is obviously heralded as a coach, and I, I love Andy Reid. He has his clock management flaws that reared their head in this game, but he's obviously a gifted offensive coach. Arians is probably a top half coach for me in the NFL. He's not, as I said, one of my top group of coaches, but... But something that I thought also came up 
for both of these teams throughout the playoffs and again in this game coordinators that were very strong Byron Leftwich had a great game I think as an offensive coordinator Todd Bowles had an even better game as an offensive coordinator and although the Chiefs were on the losing side you saw in the AFC championship Steve Spagnola absolutely flummox the number one rated Bills offense and on the Chiefs defensive side of the football you've seen Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy as a tandem lead this Chiefs offense, you know, to heights that the NFL has never seen before. And Spencer, it made me think of this. As far as the defense goes in Joe Woods, I'm not that confident that he's the guy. So number one, I think the Browns really ought to have a short leash with Joe Woods. And number two, the Browns need to hire somebody that if Joe Woods isn't the answer, they can replace him with. And I don't see that person on this staff. Maybe Kevin Stefanski has one in mind, but if he doesn't, they need to hire somebody that with some defensive coordinator experience or somebody Kevin Stefanski thinks can step in because the teams that were in the Super Bowl not only have great head coaches, they've got great coordinators. And I'm not sure the Browns do quite yet on the defensive side of the football. I, I think that that's something that remains to be seen. Because I've, I've said time and time again, maybe to you on or off the podcast, that I don't think Joe Woods got the fairest of shakes this year. And, now, and I agree. Now, I think if you have the same problems and you have a fully healthy defense next year, then we start having that conversation. Now, do I see that guy on the team? Mm, not really, honestly. I mean, maybe the cornerbacks coach, maybe one of those position coaches can be elevated. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I, I can tell you, I walked through the Browns defensive coaching roster before this podcast. I didn't see anybody with that kind of experience at least, or that kind of resume to deserve it. And certainly the way this defense is played, it's not like one unit's been so spectacularly outstanding that you would point to that coach as, as being the next Brandon Staley for the Rams, for example, right? Somebody who, okay, they didn't have experience, but they come out and do great things. I don't see that on our roster currently. And you're right. I agree with you about Joe Woods, that he did not get a fair shake this year with all the injuries, with the talent he was dealt. But I also didn't see a defensive coordinator with revolutionary schemes that way outperformed his lack of talent either. So assuming the Browns address the defensive side of the football this offseason, which I think everybody agrees they're going to in free agency in the draft, I expect to see a pretty big leap from this Browns team next year on the defensive side of the football. And if I don't see that in the first half of the season, I'm not waiting for the second half of the season. That it's not, this isn't Baker Mayfield's development this year. This isn't, you know, waiting for another player to come around. For me, the leash with, with Joe Woods is rather short. That's a fair point to make. And I, I've thought about a couple of things when, when conversations like this happen. It's not, we need a head coach and a quarterback. It's, we need couple more position players and maybe someone else if this doesn't work out but the the bonus is we're using if this doesn't work out because there's a light at the end of the tunnel and I feel like for the first time in at least our media careers we can kind of see that light at the end of the tunnel because I don't think it goes forgotten between the two of us at this team just a handful of years ago went 0-16. So the I, I feel like these are good conversations, too. These are good questions. Now, I again back like back to Joe Woods. If I like you said, if if you don't see anything that blows you away, or if you know you see the same problems with a fully healthy defense, then then you're not waiting. I'm, I'm the type of person who's a bit more hesitant 
because I want I'd want to give him a full season and and if it didn't work out then you know go look for someone else but now we're also talking about a championship contention window which throws a whole new wrench into this puzzle I, I you're right I don't think the Browns are used to a championship window and, and my point is it, the stakes are even more elevated there because they can be so short sometimes they they do not outside of, of the Tom Brady Patriots championship windows in the NFL do not last that long and, and the Browns need to be cognizant of that when they're making decisions Spencer I have another uncomfortable takeaway I think for the Browns roster and, and the front office from this game that I want to touch on but first we need to take a, a quick break all right, and we're back here on the rebuild. Spencer, Nick Chubb. That's where I want to go with this, this next takeaway because Leonard Fournette was on the waiver wire for the Buccaneers. And to me, really put his stamp on this game. The Chiefs could not bring him down. He was versatile in the passing game as well. They used Ronald Jones, both of them averaging over five yards of carry. You look at the Chiefs side of the football. Yes, they spent a first-round draft pick on Clyde Edwards-Alaire, but he's not getting paid very much. Daryl Williams is their other running back who got his first start of his NFL career during the playoffs. They're not spending a lot of salary cap capital on, on running backs either. The, Buff, the, the Bill, Buffalo Bills didn't spend a lot of salary cap resources there, and as it comes time to talk about a Nick Chubb extension and his future with the team, Spencer, it had me thinking, and look, I love Nick Chubb. I love, love, love him. He's so fun to watch. I think he's a top three running back for sure in the NFL, arguably the best running back in the NFL. I really think he's that good. All of that being said, this is an analytics focused front office. And you look at the teams that are there at the end of the year they don't invest in running back. It got me thinking, should the Browns not be investing in running back? And is it time to seriously think about letting Nick Chubb play through this contract and then maybe not extending him if the price isn't right? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. That, that's a tough question to, uh, to answer. My thought process is maybe you can go where the Cleveland professional baseball team went and maybe get oh, no. Well, you're going to see where I'm taking this. I'm going to tie in Lindor before the trade. You got him on a hometown discount. Maybe you can pull that off. And if you pull that off, you probably pull that off with Willoughby native Kareem Hunt. So I think there, there's room potentially, but the, the takeaway that I had after, you know, watching the Browns chiefs game and watching, you know, the chiefs play through and into the super bowl and watching Tampa Bay play and watching Fournette and Ronald Jones, I think the Browns need to figure out a way to get, you know, both these guys on the field at the same time. Now, I, I think with some of the sets that they run, because they hardly ever run, you know, two back, three receiver shotgun sets, that's going to be insanely difficult. And I think if you're willing to throw the wrinkle into the system, you can make it work. But what I saw this year, I think, is pretty almost tried and true for uh, what Kevin Stefanski did because he did the same thing in Minnesota and it worked like a dream. So when you say he did the same thing in Minnesota, are you referring to two I'm backs? Referring to, I'm referring to his offensive scheme. I, I didn't ever really see him in Minnesota use a two backs like I, I didn't either that's why I, was, I wanted to clarify that yeah I didn't see him use a two like a two back set 
very often. Uh, he th- like he threw it in maybe once or twice during the postseason, but I think that's about all I saw from Kevin Stefanski this past year. It's the Browns play caller and head coach. So do you? And I mean, th- this is, I-, I can make this, I-, I think we can make this joke. It's above our pay grade, but you are right. This is an analytics front office. And if, if it comes down to it, I think the first step would be they're going to try to talk him down. And if, if he's not backing down, then they might let him walk. And I'm, it look, it's a conversation for later, for sure. Nick Chubb is still under contract with the Browns. But I'm, if I were Nick Chubb, I wouldn't be taking a hometown discount, uh, obviously, you know, as far as the team that drafted him, because you only get so many opportunities for a payday as a running back. So I don't think you should do that. As far as using two backs, frankly, I don't think two back sets are really all that efficient. Some, some people may be able to bring that back. And if anyone's going to do it, it's probably Kevin Stefanski. But I think we saw some two back attempts with Freddie Kitchens and it's just hard to, to integrate that as good as Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are as pass catchers, they're not receivers and you're taking a more skilled person off the field for another run threat, which to me in this day and age is not as effective as having somebody more adept in the passing game there. So I think ultimately they're going to be, they're going to be choosing between these two and and maybe choosing neither of them for a, a third option that's cheaper a, as well. With how good their offensive line is, I, look, I just I look around the league and I just don't see that many running backs that are worth their contract year over year. And I and I think that that this front office might see something similar. Though, as I said, it's it's not a discussion that necessarily has to take place today. But it got me thinking during the game. Every team could have had Leonard Fournette. He was available on the waiver wire. Every team passed on him. The Bucs scooped him up right as the season started. And despite that, given their offensive line and the, uh, the way their offense was set up, he was able to perform remarkably in the Super Bowl. And I think, frankly, there's somebody like Leonard Fournette out there most years, if not every year. So it, it definitely, that thought definitely crossed my mind. Now, Spencer, the last thought that crossed my mind in this game related to the Browns in these teams was something a little bit more complicated that had me thinking about the Browns roster in a couple of different ways. Both of these teams and especially the Buccaneers have great versatility on the roster, especially where they're at the depth spots, right? Obviously they've got some stars on both sides of the football, but you look at their defensive line. They've got defensive linemen that do different things very well. Vita Vey is a great run stopper. And then they put him out on the edge for a couple of plays in this game, which was kind of wild to see. You've got your Shaq Barrett, which is a classic straight ahead pass rusher that's not as focused on the run game. You've got linebackers that, that cover differently. You've got secondary players, some that are a little bit more physical, some that are a little bit more of runners in their secondary, some speedsters to cover the fast guys. And as I look at the Browns roster, that's something I'm very focused on this off season. So it manifests itself on the Browns roster in a couple different ways. I think the first is if you're looking at cornerback, I actually think the Browns need to focus on getting a bigger, more physical corner kind of in the Terrence Mitchell mold, if you will, but but frankly, somebody better. Because as great as Denzel Ward is, I think his strength is speed. And I think there are receivers in the NFL that give him challenges when it comes to physicality. Chase Claypool, namely uh, among them, who the Browns are going to see twice a year for probably the foreseeable future. So if I'm the Browns, the, one of the things I was thinking of in this game is, is we need some roster flexibility as we build out this defense. And it, it to me, that starts at, at corner as we address that, that corner spot opposite Denzel Ward. Yeah, now you mentioned the cornerback position. I want to ask you something about the cornerback position. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Richard Sherman? joining the Browns. I've seen this out there. 
I don't hate it. I absolutely don't hate it. I will, I will say this. It's not my first choice. But the reason it makes sense is, number one, exactly what I just talked about. Richard Sermon is a physical cornerback and it would be the opposite of, of Denzel Ward uh, in that sense. Secondly, I think Richard Sherman will come at a cheaper price than trading for Marshawn Lattimore, signing a, you know, a, a free agent who's on, on the younger side with uh, some potential, et cetera. And third, I think Richard Sherman's looking for a winner, and I think that fits in with the Browns. Now, is it perfect? As I said, no, because he's older. He doesn't really fit in with the long-term plans of this team, for sure. But if they follow my plan and they end up taking a defensive lineman early in the draft or they spend most of their free agency capital there and it's a linebacker at 26, something like that, and second corner is kind of a need where they, they don't have a ton of money, but they want to address it, that's where I would, I would be totally fine with Richard Sherman coming in on that kind of deal if they address some of the other concerns that I have on this roster. I was thinking you can get Richard Sherman at, you know, what would be considered in free agency at a premium for, you know, his talent. And I mean, yes, he's also on the older side, but I, I think you can get him and he, he can make this work in the short term. And if the Browns, I think, are in win-now mode, that's kind of what you look for because he's physical. Like you said, he's pretty much polar opposite Denzel Ward. But, you know, he's the same caliber player in terms of, you know, a cover corner. Now, there obviously, like you mentioned, there's two different molds where you can get that. You have the Denzel Ward mold, that speedster type mold, and you have that physical mold. I think... Richard Sherman would honestly fit very well. Uh, and like you said, he's looking for a winner. So I, you know Richard Sherman is in win-now mode. The question is, are the Browns in win-now mode? And I would like to think yes. Oh, I, I think the Browns are in win-now mode for sure. It's just the idea, you know, they're, I think they're in win-now mode, but also in win mode for the next three years or so, right? And, and what price does Richard Sherman come at and, and how long, you know, how long is that contract for? I think is something this team has to consider given their limited cap space in their aspirations. Now, I think it's totally realistic. I, I've seen that out there. I know CJ McCollum tweeted at, at Richard Sherman and I don't hate it, as I said. It, there are scenarios that where this offseason plays out where I, in fact, like it quite a bit for the Browns. There are just some other scenarios where if it comes on and over, you know, if it's an overpay and it's early in free agency and I'm not sure what the rest of the roster plans are, I'm not sure I'd love that either. But that doesn't really seem like this front office's style. Spencer, the other way it came up for me was on the other side of the ball. I looked at a tall receiver like Mike Evans, physical receiver like him, Chris Godwin in the slot. I, you see Gronk as a physical tight end. They've also got Brait, who's a little bit more of a speedy guy. They've got Antonio Brown as a speedster who plays outside the numbers. Just not only a, a plethora of riches, for this Buccaneers offense, but a lot of weapons that do different things. And as I looked at the Browns roster and people might be thinking I'm going towards Odell Beckham, but I'm not, I'm going towards Richard Higgins. As I look at the Browns roster, I, I talked with Brad Ward on this podcast about how I, I think the Browns can sign him cheaply. I think he's going to come at a couple million bucks. I think he's going to get squeezed by the market. But even if that does happen, my thought was, is Rashard Higgins too similar to the other receivers we have on this roster? Don't we need somebody that is a speedster or is very big and physical with, with really elite physical traits uh, on that side of the things? I'm starting to think yes, and I'm starting to think even if it's cheap that Rashard Higgins just might not fit in with these other receivers, given the fact that he's kind of like a Donovan Peoples-Jones and a Jarvis Landry it, it, all in one. I'm going to start with Odell Beckham because I think he's the easiest guy to point out. He's your guy that plays outside the numbers. Jarvis is a possession receiver. I think DPJ can play out the numbers. 
can play outside the numbers, I should say. I think he can play outside the numbers. And a lot of that is because of the over-the-top catch he made. He's got strong hands. He can run routes really well. He's a better route runner than I originally thought he was coming in. So Donovan Peoples-Jones was a nice surprise. And I think Hollywood Higgins is a similar mold to Peoples-Jones. But Higgins is more, if you were to put him in the slot and play him inside the numbers and put Peoples-Jones on the outside and have him play outside the numbers, I think that's your yin and yang on that side. And then you have, you know, Jarvis and Odell. And I, I think that's a pretty solid top four. I think you can keep Rashard Higgins because watching his rapport with Baker, I, I feel like it is a big piece to the puzzle because from what I've watched with Baker, the guys he has the best rapport with are his tight ends and, you know, his possession receivers that have some, you know, getaway speed. So like a Rashard Higgins, potentially like Donovan Peoples-Jones, I need to see a bit more of Donovan Peoples-Jones to, you know, confirm my suspicion on that. But I, I think you have a really good, you know, foursome of receivers. I personally don't want to change anything on the offensive side of the ball. I think it's a really solid product as it is. Yeah, I just, to me, it feels like, and, and I, I've heard this a lot from, from Browns fans out there, is the one thing this team is missing is kind of an over-the-top, take the, the top off the defense threat. And my thought is OBJ could, could kind of be that for this team it, it, coming off the ACL, but maybe he can't. And if he can't, then it almost makes more sense to me to spend that that free agency money on a Brashard Perriman or somebody like that who is a little bit more of the speedster to Donovan Peoples-Jones just because I am a huge fan of him. And, and I like Higgins too. I, I, I don't want this to come out as though I don't like Higgins because despite him not having elite physical traits, I do like how he has a knack for getting open. I do like his hands for the most part as well. But I look at him and I look at Donovan Peoples-Jones and, and one's on a rookie contract for the long term. And I'm, and I'm just wondering if you might be the odd man out if the Browns do opt to get some more speed on the field, because that is not Higgins' strong suit. I'm not sure about that, but, but it certainly had me thinking as well. As I looked at all the different kinds of weapons that the Bucks had, I thought the, the, the Browns might, might think a little bit harder about Higgins, even if it does come at a good price, which I think it will. So that'll be another interesting decision for this team as things go along this offseason. But Spencer, that's really all I had as far as the key takeaways in the Super Bowl. It was a little bit uh, of a letdown of a game in general. It wasn't really close. It wasn't all it was hyped up to be, unfortunately. However, kudos to the NFL for making it through the season, I guess. They, they did it at the expense uh, of some weird games, some COVID issues that the Browns and many others suffered for. But I am, I am glad that they made it through to the Super Bowl and that it went off pretty much as well as could be expected in the actual game itself. Any other thoughts, memories, Spencer, that, that, that come to mind for you as you reflect back on this 2020 season? Honestly, I, I think about the ride the Browns took us on that second half where you knew this team had the potential to be a damn good football team and then they just absolutely started ripping wins off. And, and then, you know, three, four weeks later after the bye, you're like, this, this team's absolutely legitimate because they went in and they absolutely blitzed Tennessee in the first half. And, you know, they're hanging around with Baltimore, even though they lost that game. They didn't, they didn't lose back-to-back -back games all season long. And, that that's pretty that that's pretty rare i think it, it's a hard thing to not lose back-to-back -back games not to mention they had two four game winning streaks that kind of set their season in the right direction 
I think. And man, if I'm not excited for next season, I don't know if I actually have a pulse. <laughs> yeah, a couple a couple things come to mind for me. I'm never the first thing I think I'll never forget is obviously the playoff games, but specifically the start to the Steelers game. That first quarter, that snap over Big Ben's head, the emotions of, of that game to me stand out as something I, I truly think I'll never forget as far as where I was, how I reacted, all of it, it comes to mind as the most memorable thing. On top of the playoff games, some other, you know, some other highlights as I think about them in my head would be Baker Mayfield scrambling for the first down against Pittsburgh to send us to the playoffs. You mentioned that that first half against the Tennessee Titans. I'll remember the Monday night game against the Ravens, even though it was a Browns loss. I thought that was an all-time classic game as well. And uh, on, on the negative side, I'll remember the the Jets COVID weird game as well. And, and, and on the you know the Chiefs thing too, but the Chiefs game, I, I have some some positive memories of that as well. Obviously, it there were some bad ones too with the Richard Higgins play and how the end of the game went, but being there had be at playing the chiefs in, in round two of the playoffs was something I'll certainly remember fondly. And frankly, the one Browns non Browns moment that I I'm going to remember from this season outside of that was Denver playing with no quarterback. That was insane to me and watching Kendall Hilton try to play quarterback for the Broncos. That was my, other lasting memory from, from this 2020 season. And I think sums it up well, but all that being said, Spencer, we made it through and uh, the 2020 season did happen despite all of the other things going on in the outside world. And now we're on to 2021 free agency is not that far away. The draft's not that far away. All of that and more will be covered on this podcast. Spencer, before we go, thanks for coming on again and let everybody know what you'll be up to as well this offseason as far as Browns coverage goes. I'll be over at 92.3 The Fan and, you know, talking with the guys, Dan Menigan, uh, Jeff Phelps, Andy Baskin, just trying to see where their mind's at, talking, talking Browns. I mean, that, that's what we love doing at the station. And you can also find me on Twitter. I'll throw some stuff out during the off season when, you know, draft day comes closer and, you know, projections and charts are released and, you know, pro days happen and, you know, who the Browns are projected to pick, what I think it it's going to be interesting because I haven't seen a Browns team pick this low in a good long while. And honestly, that's a good thing. Like, like I talked about, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. When you're picking this low, you can see that light at the end of the tunnel. And I think with a lot of the conversations I've had during the run and during the season with people who call 92.3 is not only us as analysts and fans, not only we are starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, other people, other fans, even casual fans are starting to see that light at the end of the tunnel. And just like the sense of optimism in this city for this team, not to be the recurring punchline it's been known for, for the last, you know, 20 some years, it, it's going to be, I think everything I've hoped for as a Browns fan and as someone who covers the team as my job. I, I think that's something I'm going to look forward to um, when fall comes around and when, you know, summer and training camp comes around and, and hopefully the world's a little bit more normal. And a lot of the optimism notes I was driving home from work last night after doing some Super Bowl coverage. I was listening to Scott Graham during the post game, the guy who does uh, pregame and postgame for Westwood one on uh, Monday night football and big events like the pro bowl and super bowl. He, he was talking about this big light of optimism that the NFL finished 
this season and rightfully so gave the NFL kudos as you and I have done. And, you know, for getting the season done with a a hundred year global pandemic and that that's really difficult to do. They pulled this off and outside of, you know, a couple weird scheduling uh, changes, it went off pretty much as, as good as they could have hoped. And, you know, kudos goes to guys like JC Treader who, who really wanted that daily testing and, you know, setting up these systems and putting all these protocols in place. There's many, many people who deserve thanks who aren't necessarily going to hear it firsthand, but just know that not only us as fans and analysts appreciate what you've done, we will continue to appreciate all the work you do because if 2020 has taught us anything, it's anything can happen. It's how you react. And in, in due time, I think doctors and nurses and people alike have made all these sacrifices to make seasons go on with, you know, reduced attendances and that that's hard to do. And they did it. So there's so many people that deserve kudos. I'd be going on here for hours, but my, my big, my biggest takeaway is the optimism, not only for the NFL for next year, but for the Browns as a team, not to be the recurring punchline anymore. Let's see how far these guys can go. Absolutely. Absolutely. I am so, so excited to cover this off season. I, I have enjoyed covering the other Browns off seasons when there has been turmoil and chaos, but I can't wait to cover an off season. That's more about building for, for the game. We just watched on last night for, for building towards that Super Bowl. and Spencer well said as well in terms of, of, of thanking everybody else and, That's going to do it for us here on this edition of the rebuild. But as I said, we're going to have plenty, plenty more off season content for you. Another podcast coming later this week, talking big free agent names, JJ Watt, Richard Sherman, all that and more recording that one tomorrow night with a guest who has been on the podcast before as well. So stay tuned for that one later in the week, but until then Browns fans, I just have two words for you. Go Browns.